Up to that moment, I didn't understand what our audience, our target audience, truly needed from us. And that was one of the most important lessons I brought with me into my second career. You've got to know what your audience needs from you. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this content episode, I share three lessons I learned from the experience of creating and managing the delivery of a training program to more than 10,000 technicians in the TV news industry. Do you give technical presentations or conduct training of any sort? If so, then these lessons will benefit you as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and on this program, we look at the importance of telling the story of your work, because no engineering solution, no scientific discovery could ever change the world until it was known. So the theme of this program is all about making your work known. If you give technical presentations and want to know how to connect with your audience so your information actually finds a home in someone else's mind, you're in the right place. Now, in this program, we have a mix of content and conversations. And today's episode is going to be a content episode. You're going to benefit from some ruminations I've been uh, considering recently on a project that I did a number of years ago. In fact, I'm calling this episode, Three Lessons Learned from Training More Than 10,000 People. Maybe I'll come up with a catchier title than that by the time I publish the episode, but that's the working title. Three Lessons Learned from When I Facilitated the Training of More Than 10,000 People. Let me give you the backstory. Up until about 2005, I was working in broadcast engineering, that is to say, I had worked for a couple of television stations in Austin, Texas, was the chief engineer and vice president of engineering of one of those, the public TV station KLRU, when I was lured away by a job that took me down a slightly different path, and I began specializing in microwave radio communications. doesn't matter what that is. It's just part of the infrastructure that makes television, especially live TV news and sports coverage, happen. Along about 2005, there was a major push to roll out a new digital technology into that space. This was making a lot of people nervous. In fact, so much so that an industry-wide summit meeting was called near Washington, D.C., and I ended up moderating that summit meeting. This was a very high-level meeting. Senior VPs from all the major TV networks there and were there, and the TV station owner groups were well-represented as were the manufacturers of the new equipment that was going to be using this new technology. And I was in the middle of it. I spent much of that day, what turned out to be three days, several weeks apart, in the crosshairs, as well as in the lectern, because these were contentious meetings. But by the end of it, a number of the details that had been creating roadblocks for the rollout of this new technology had been resolved. And one of those details was the training. 
People were concerned that this new technology was going to make their or their employees' job skills obsolete overnight. What to do about that? Roll out a training program alongside the rollout of the new technology so that by the time everyone had their hands on the new technology, they would be comfortable with it. Well, as a result of being in such a visible position at that industry summit meeting, I got recruited by the company that was going to do all the training. One company, one training contract, industry-wide, nationwide. Kind of a big deal. Not that I was kind of a big deal, but the project was a big deal. I was recruited to be the subject matter expert. If you know anything about training, you know you need two kinds of expertise. You need to have expertise in how to train. Training expertise, that's typically called. How do you identify the need? How do you create the curriculum, design the program, train the trainers? How do you put it all together? And then once you know that you can get people's attention, you have to know what to do with that attention once you have it. And that's where the second kind of expertise comes in, subject matter expertise. I was initially going to be the subject matter expert. That role I understood well. Through a series of unexpected events that I won't try to detail here, I ended up having to run the whole program. Yes, I had to overnight become the training expert as well as the subject matter expert. And had it not been for that one wrinkle, I suspect that what happened next might not have played out the way it did. Because what happened next was that my team and I put together a training program on something known as coded orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. And don't worry about what that means. But that was the technology we were trying to explain to people. And it wasn't so much the technology, or, or perhaps it was, but the real point was how using this technology would ultimately make people's jobs easier and give them better quality results than the analog technology they'd been using. Somewhere along the line, though, in designing this program, we kind of missed that mark. It was a group of engineers creating this training program, and we were enamored with the technology and proud of our ability to understand and explain the technology. So we went at the program design, the training program design, as you might expect a bunch of engineers would. We created a training program that was very information heavy. We were proud of our animated PowerPoints, proud of how we could demonstrate the way the new technology worked. And when we rolled it out to our first test audience, which for no particular reason that I can recall ended up being in Yuma, Arizona, I think it was so that the big city folks from Phoenix and LA could drop in and see the training program being demonstrated. We did our first, made our first attempt at at training an unsuspecting audience in Yuma, Arizona, and it was not well received. So we went back to the drawing board. What went wrong? Why were these people unimpressed? Eventually, a friend of mine helped me to see that we had created a training program for the engineers, for the people that really wanted to look under the hood and see how this new technology worked people who understood things like radio frequency or RF propagation, how radio waves got from one place to another. I mean, esoteric stuff. 
Trust me, when I taught my daughters to drive, I didn't start by opening the hood and having them take the engine apart. So we really missed the mark there. So we went back and took another look at how to design this training program. And this is where I think had I had or had someone else on the team had the expertise we needed in training design, we might have started with that gap analysis. Who is this training for and what do they need to know? Eventually we figured out that the training was not for the engineers. It was for the people operating this equipment on a day-to-day -day basis. People like news photographers and field producers for TV stations and sports networks. People who had to set up what were called the live shots, the way to relay picture and sound instantaneously from one place back to a TV studio. Technology that now we really take for granted. I mean, look at what I can do from right here at my own desktop. At the time, the way it was being done required a lot of dedicated and expensive equipment. And that equipment was being changed from one type to another, and the training was supposed to facilitate that change. So once we redesigned the training program and figured out that we needed to take away people's fear of this new technology, it was successful. We did figure out how to reach the people who were going to use the equipment, who were not so much curious about it as they were afraid of it. They were afraid of what it would mean for them and their job skills. We had to take away their fear. Easier said than done. You don't just walk into a room full of people and say, I'm here to take away your fear. So what we had to do was to redesign the program in a way that recognized where our intended trainees were starting from as well as where they needed to go in their use of this new equipment. So the successful version of the training program debuted on schedule on March 1, 2007, after being in development for a while. And it concluded late in 2009 because the rollout of this technology industry-wide, nationwide, did run into a few logistical bottlenecks and we eventually had to throttle back our training schedule to accommodate those. In those 33 months, by the time we looked at the numbers, which we had to keep track of, we had trained more than 10,000 people in, if memory serves, about or almost 900 locations. We didn't go to those locations. We delivered our programming via satellite. Now, what are the lessons I learned from this? Because if not for these lessons, this anecdote might not be that interesting to you. But if you are someone who gets in front of an audience to deliver technical information, you can benefit from the lessons I learned from this training project. So here they are. Lesson number one, track everything you can track. Are you getting up to speak at a conference? Fine. Try to get a picture of the crowd. At least estimate how many people might be there if you don't know. Record the details of the time and place where you gave this presentation. Perhaps certain individuals who are there that you might want to stay in touch with. But track that information.
You see, we were in a situation where we had to track the information. I had several people working for me who were whose job was to line up the trainees at all these different locations and all these different available time slots and then track how many people were actually present each time we delivered a training session. That's why I can tell you that over 33 months, we trained more than 10,000 people because it was right there in the spreadsheet. One day, for reasons you may not be able to foresee at this point, it may benefit you to be able to say how many people you've spoken to and how many different locations, whether you're pursuing a career in speaking and presenting or whether it's something ancillary to what you do as a scientist, engineer, or other technical professional. It can benefit you to be able to demonstrate through data what you have been doing in your role as a presenter. So that's lesson number one. Document everything you can. Lesson number two is know your audience and what they need from you. When we rolled out that pilot project in Yuma and it was not well received and I went back to Denver to lick my wounds and consider my next steps, I talked to a friend who said, sounds like you designed this program for the engineers and not for the people who will be using the new technology. Have you asked them what they want to know about it? Head slap moment. Did we ever do that? Not that I can recall. So right here in Denver, where I now live, I managed to arrange a ride-along with one of the news photographers for one of the local TV stations. And I asked this individual whose name now sadly eludes me. Because I knew this station was going to be an early adopter of the new technology. I asked him what his thoughts were. He did not tell me, oh, I want to know more about how it works. He didn't even tell me, I want to know how it'll help me do a better job. He said, I'm afraid I'm going to get yelled at or fired when my live shot goes down or freezes up in the middle of the news. I'm afraid. That changed everything for us. Up to that moment, I didn't understand what our audience, our target audience, truly needed from us. Now, since that time, after this training ended in 2009, about a year later, I launched a second career as a trainer and public speaker. And that was one of the most important lessons I brought with me into my second career. You've got to know what your audience needs from you. So many technical presenters I encounter and coach make the mistake of thinking that they are there to serve information, to serve up information on a platter. Well, that word serve is a useful word. What I want you to do is think about serving your audience. What does it mean for you to serve your audience, to meet their needs? We had to meet the needs of people who didn't have any strong desire to change what they were doing or the tools they were using. It was being forced upon them, and they were uncomfortable with it. And to serve them, we had to start with understanding that level of discomfort. Anytime you're giving a presentation, no matter how technical, always remember your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. You're not there to serve up information. You're there to serve an audience. What do they need from you? Why are they there to hear you? 
How will your message make the world a little bit better place for them? And most important of these questions, what do you want your listeners to think, do, or feel differently when you are done? Regular members of the audience of this show will will know they've heard me say that before. What do you want your listeners or viewers, whatever audience you have, to think, do, or feel differently when you are done? That's your starting point, not the information. So the second lesson I learned was the importance of knowing your audience and what your audience needs from you. And the third lesson that I've learned is don't underestimate the power of good training or a good presentation. Information that truly addresses real needs that your audience members have can change the world for them. I am confident that those 10,000 people that we had documented contact with over over those 33 months completed that training, not just knowing something new, but feeling different, having a greater degree of confidence in their ability to meet this change. And there have been so many changes in technology and broadcasting even since that time. After all, we did finish that training more than a decade ago. Whole new waves of technology have found their way into that industry since then. And I'm willing to bet that those 10,000 people were better prepared for each of those successive waves of technology because we helped them gain confidence with that one wave. Never underestimate the power you have as a provider of information to change people's lives, as long as you understand that you have to deliver information that meets their needs. When I think about the scope of that training project. Going into it, we didn't know how many people we would reach. We didn't even know exactly how long it would take. But by the time we got a good second running start at the problem with our redesigned curriculum that was based on addressing their fear of this new technology, I knew we were onto something. I could tell from the feedback we were getting. I could tell from people who said, this is the best training I've ever had. I can't wait to get my hands on the new equipment. And I feel confident that those 10,000 people didn't just learn something. They felt something. They felt better about themselves by the time they were done. That's why I can say with confidence that that training program that I facilitated, I didn't do all the training myself by any means. It was carried out by excellent trainers whom I trained in the subject matter but who had excellent training skills of their own. But that training program, I can confidently state, changed more than 10,000 lives. So never underestimate the power of your message to effect change when you know what your audience needs and when you connect with them. Your information goes nowhere if you don't meet the needs of your audience. So those are the three lessons I wanted to share with you from what I learned from that training project. As we look ahead at other episodes that are coming up on the power of story and science, you'll be hearing from more scientists, more 
communication professionals, and one, at least, coming up, leadership professional who specializes in leadership programs for STEM professionals. So I hope that you will subscribe, and if you enjoyed this program, let other people know about it as well. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. I always enjoy hearing from my audience members. One way to reach me would be to simply go to the home page of this program. Go to your browser and type in storyandscience.com, and you'll go right to it. Visit my website and click on one of the buttons that says Schedule Consultation, and we can have a phone call, Zoom call, about anything you like. And for those of you who are not just listening, but watching this, the video version of this on YouTube, <laughs> a major change. Yes, I did get rid of the blue curtain. I have rearranged my office. Welcome to it. I had help from my wife and daughters in conceptualizing and carrying out this major change. So I have a different environment from which to come to you. And I'm excited about that too. Excited about all the, the new things that 2022 holds in store for us. And I hope that 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 the coming year holds exciting things for you as well. I'm David Odie, and thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.